welcome everyone to episode six of Conversations That Matter, the podcast. My name is Justine Jecker and I'll be hosting today's episode on social accountability with considerations on how this differs from social activism. In a recent submission to the magazine OT Now, Conversations That Matter, the podcast, defines social accountability as a way in which occupational therapists are accountable to clients, families, and communities by recognizing how we influence and are influenced by interpersonal and therapeutic relationships. In other words, to be socially accountable means to do what is in the best interest of those we serve, acknowledging the ethical, moral, cultural, and systemic barriers that often make change feel impossible. With me today is Holly Reed, and we are going to unpack a bit more why we feel the podcast could be a vehicle for addressing social accountability. Holly is an occupational therapist and PhD student in the UBC Rehabilitation Sciences program. They began working in mental health as a new grad, transitioned to acute care, then to a community setting in their hometown on unceded Wassenich territory on what settlers called Vancouver Island. Holly discovered their Métis identity later in life and is of Scottish immigrant lineage on their father's side. Their passion, interest, and research center on exploring the ways that systemic and societal levels of discrimination influence occupational experiences. So Holly, to get the conversation started, um, I've, I've been living and working with organizations over the past 12 years that define their outward focus as being socially accountable. I'm wondering what you have experienced in your early career with the concept of social accountability and whether this is a requirement of being a healthcare provider. Yeah, it's a great question. And again, thank you for having me on in this space. It's always a pleasure to be here and engaged in these types of conversations. Um, so I did just want to say thank you. Um, so I graduated in 2019, just for a little bit of context, and I've worked for about two years in different roles, um, as you mentioned, within public and private practice, mental health, acute care, um, I finished off in community care before stepping into this non-clinical role that I'm currently in now. Um, so I've seen different elements of social accountability, and it's always outward facing in the sense that it's a lot of words and maybe some pictures that are put on display, um, trying to show that there's diversity and inclusion and accountability for different identities. Um, so I think it's quite common for social accountability to be a performance, and I do want to name that. So, for example, during Pride Month, you'll see that there's rainbows left, right, and center. Um, every company has their logo out there with a rainbow for that month, but then the other 11 months of the year, they go back to business as usual. And we now have a situation in Canada where people wear their orange shirts to acknowledge the impact of residential schools on Indigenous peoples um, in our country. So I think although there is action and accountability, we also have to be mindful that there's performance and social displays that perhaps aren't leading to change. Um, and this is partly because there's red tape in the way that institutions work. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy and for there to be change, there needs to be vocalization and pushback. And that's why protests can be a really effective way um, to hold institutions or decision makers accountable for their actions because it's public and it applies pressure directly to them. So the accountability piece, I think, is, is one thing to acknowledge and be aware of what's going on, and then to be accountable for it means that you're doing something that's actionable. 
Um, so you need to do something that's going to change and influence at a social level, not just the visual or performance level. So I think in your question you ask, is being socially accountable a requirement of being a healthcare provider? It's a tough one to answer directly because I think we're accountable to ensure that our clients are receiving quality care, uh, we do no harm, all of those things that we basically agree to when we're licensed to become an OT, uh, much like a doctor or any other health care provider. Um, and we're obligated to provide uh, care for any client regardless of their background. So, um, But in terms of being truly socially accountable, I think it requires one step further. So I don't know if it's a requirement of being a healthcare provider to go beyond doing the bare minimum. Um, but I would think that a lot of occupational therapists, it's almost inherent in what we do and our values. Uh, we want to advocate for change and we want to help our clients beyond the day-to-day -day survival occupations, you know, quality of life and all of those things. So again, I don't know if it's a requirement and I'm really curious, uh, what are your thoughts on that part of the question? Yeah, it that that is, I posed the question, but can I answer it? That's that's la question. Um, you know, working in northwestern Ontario for ten years before coming to CAOT, so having you know twelve years practice as an OT kind of puts me in the mid range of of where occupational therapists are on the work spectrum. And I remember when I was first up there in two thousand and nine, the patient and client-centered care, that was the huge focus, huge, I would say, catchphrase that healthcare workers were focused on. And sometime around 2012, 2013, this idea of needing to be socially accountable started to pop up in different areas, um, in newsletters, in slogans, uh, the local medical school. And and it was one of those words that when you read it, it's almost intuitive. You almost feel that you connect with, okay, to be social, to be engaged, and then to be accountable socially. And so, so you, you kind of run with it. But, you know, after a few years of working, um, especially in community care and working with First Nations populations, people began to ask, what does that mean? What does that, what does that phrase mean? How are you socially accountable? And in my role in the North, I would supervise a lot of students who came from Southern Ontario uh, some of which that planned to work up north, many of which who didn't plan to work up north. And this idea of accountability started to be challenged because of the reciprocity piece of uh, students in particular coming up north, uh, getting their placement hours, and then leaving and going back to southern Ontario. And, and that really started to challenge me. What is the give back piece? Is social accountability, is it, is it similar to this idea of social reciprocity uh, because you you need to be engaged and there needs to be a back and forward motion. Um, but I would say it goes even one step further than that because reciprocity does not, um, it, it, it entails an equal relationship, an equitable relationship where two people, two groups are on the same footing where accountability for me started to mean that one group has a particular responsibility to another group. And so as a healthcare provider in a position of privilege and power, uh, economically, uh, socially, financially, um, I began to feel that I needed to give back beyond what would be consider, considered to be a reciprocal relationship. 
And so it was really important for me when I was supervising and precepting students that not only were they engaging in projects that gave back to the community for the time that they were there, but there were long-term changes that were giving back to the community. And so um, some examples I can provide, one of them was where we had uh, two different groups of uh, interprofessional groups of students, speech language pathology students and occupational therapy students who overlapped on different, uh, same placement, but at different times. And we examined the concept of Jordan's principle and being able to create a position for Jordan's principle in the North uh, so that there would be a sustainable element for when the students left their placement that would go way beyond uh, the, the placement timeframe. And, and I would say that that was probably one of the earlier projects that started to ingrain to me what it meant to be socially accountable. Um, but could every healthcare provider be doing this? I think you need to situate yourself in circumstances where you can act. And I love that you said that, Holly, that the accountability is an actionable piece because um, taking students is one thing, supporting them on placement is one thing, but following up with uh, a project that has long-term benefits and deliverables for the community, that's a whole other thing. And, and so I think that we can be doing it, um, but our time, energy, and um, dedication are, are, are pieces that are important to consider when we think of social accountability. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think it's interesting the piece you mentioned about reciprocity. So when we're working with clients, we don't want to impose our own personal values and beliefs and all of that. Um, so we step into it in a professional way, and therefore we're professionally accountable. But with that said, we also gain knowledge and experience from our clients. Um, so there's a reciprocal transaction of education and connection and shared experiences. And, um, you know, this is done through rapport. And um, when we leave the client's house or interacting with them, we go and we're accountable for what we do with that information. I think that's a type of professional accountability. Um, so all this to say, like, yes, we're directly accountable to our clients. Um, but then if we look at bigger picture, social accountability goes beyond the individual level and we're accountable to our clients' families and communities and other health professionals in the field. Um, so there's a bigger context to it. So this means in order to be accountable in that context, we need to vocalize issues to leadership and management and at the policy levels to really push for the change that is needed at the individual level. Um, so we're accountable to our clients through those actions as well. And it's not always the actions that can be seen directly in the social context. Like our clients aren't seeing that we're having meetings and requesting changes to, I don't know, whether it's an assessment form or the language that's used for something or um, these conversations that are taking place where we are being accountable to them, but they don't necessarily see it as well. So I did just want to mention that accountability can look and sound different depending on the context. Yeah, that, and that completely makes sense. And I think um, what's interesting, so this podcast is, I kind of opened up with um, at, in the intro, we, we've kind of situated this podcast as a potential vehicle towards social accountability and submitted a write-up for um, the special edition on social accountability coming out in the spring of 2022. And, um, and it's really because we see this space as a place to engage in diverse topics relating to justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. Um, and I'm wondering is, you know, the example I gave earlier of, for example, developing a position on Jordan's principle for the local community, 
can that be put in the same context as, you know, creating a podcast and talking about social issues? Is it enough? Is the action itself to talk about something enough to say that you are being socially accountable? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, it's a big question. Um, I think the podcast is different because the context of a podcast is really sharing information and prompting people to reflect on their experiences related to the topic and perhaps some steps that they can take to make the changes. Um, but I don't think there's a direct impact the same way as other types of social accountability. So for instance, a policymaker or decision maker isn't going to listen to a podcast and then mobilize the knowledge right away and enact a change to the way that they were doing something. Um, but with that said, someone might listen to a podcast episode and something really resonates with it with them. Um, and then they go and advocate because it helped them get to a different level of awareness. So the piece I want to touch on with this question is that having a podcast or a magazine article such as OT Now or um, a journal article is to have different ways to mobilize knowledge and ultimately raise that awareness and making it accessible. Um, what happens then is that the person perhaps has a new way of thinking about uh, the topic or what they learned and one of two things can happen. So there can either be acceptance of the information and then there can be action. And I think what we're hoping for in this space with the podcast is for there to be less acceptance and more action. Um, to me, when there's acceptance of something, it means that there might also be conformity and perpetuation of harm that's inherent in whatever's being accepted as true, um, because we don't want to be a disruptor. And that's fair. But I think right now there's an interesting shift taking place where people are becoming more comfortable or willing to participate in disrupting spaces and protesting for things that they believe in, maybe doing things differently. So again, it certainly is context dependent, but the podcast definitely does have a place and I think it's important. Yeah, I love to hear that. Um, and, you know, it has me thinking in terms of the reach because of of podcasts in general, the nature of who can listen, right? Um, you know, recently we, we supervise students at CAOT at, at all different levels of placement from different universities in Ontario, sometimes in Quebec. And one of the things that comes to mind for me is I don't know what students are learning in all these different curriculums across the country. You know, we have 14 schools educating students. We have uh, provincial colleges that are all doing things differently across the country. Um, and, and CAOT is one of those places of unification and a national voice. But what I realized with the podcast is, for me, one of the ways I can see it becoming a part of social accountability is that anybody can listen to this. So I don't know if every one of those 14 programs is talking about some of the issues we've already talked about on our podcast, like double discrimination or LGBTQT2 issues. Um, you know, upcoming sessions focus on trauma informed care or truth and reconciliation. But if they listen to this, there's kind of a unified message that we can engage, you know, even if it's asynchronously, um, anybody can listen to this. And so I feel that part of social accountability does come down to accessibility because there needs to be that universal interaction with one another and, and understanding. And um, yeah, so, so for me, the podcast does allow anybody to be a part of it and to, uh, to write to us and tell us, okay, I agree with what you're saying. I disagree. Uh, here are some topics that you should be really focused on. We, we've heard, uh, we've had requests from OTs that are in different areas of OT practice and, 
and we're really wanting to showcase them on the podcast, but we really need to also link it to what is the social issue at hand, right? So as much as I'd love to have the podcast just talk about all the cool areas of practice that our OTs are working in, if we're not talking about it based in a social context and a social issue, I feel that that's what makes it different than just being a podcast talking about OT, that we're really trying to say, hey, are people talking about this in the workplace? Um, and trying to provide some expertise and opinions that might guide OTs in that direction. So I'm thinking, though, um, over the past year, you had mentioned, Holly, that um, this idea of disruption in our profession has been living through the same systemic changes uh, that the world has been experiencing with regards to facing racism, social inequality, um, and TRC. And you mentioned this idea of disruption. And you were part of this uh, really important event, a global Disrupt OT event in early August that brought together disruptors and OTs who identified as social activists um, to talk about you know, challenging our profession and even changing our profession. So we've talked a little bit about social accountability and what that is and whether the podcast could be a vehicle for that. But how does this differ from the idea of social activism? Is, is it a spectrum or... Are they linked? Yeah, again, that's a great question. So the Disrupt OT event was interesting for me in that it was an opportunity to engage and learn how OTs do this work in different countries and what it means to be socially accountable in those contexts. Um, and the more we try to define a concept or a word, so in this situation, it's social accountability, um, the more context we lose with regard to what is influencing that. So geographically, where are we at? What is the geopolitical climate of the policies and issues that are taking place? Um, all these factors, they really matter when we're talking about social accountability. And I've mentioned this before, but the people who are making the decisions are accountable to the people it impacts. So there's often a disconnect between the background and perspective of the decision makers and then the people who the policies or the situation will most likely marginalize and ultimately um, oppress or discriminate against. So if the decisions are made by middle-aged white people, for example, um, in a position of power who have the privilege, um, how are they being socially accountable to folks, say, with disabilities or who are, are a person of color um, who might be queer or trans or of low socioeconomic status and so on? Um, so from a sexuality, gender or critical disability perspective, accountability really needs to be to those people who have those identities and who face the systemic barriers on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, now, if we look at social activism, it's the so what of all of this. So being socially accountable is being kind to others, doing things that serve communities, and really it's, it's what society expects and counts on from other people. But then I believe that the social activism piece is engaging in things that disrupt how society is already operating. And so to build on that a bit, Holly, I'm wondering, you know, because when people hear or even you mentioned the word social activist, you know, people's minds almost immediately go to the 60s and 70s images, especially in the United States, was a very powerful time for social activism and a lot of political changes um, taking place, global changes, you know, people's views on what it meant to engage in war. Um, what it meant to be a citizen with voting rights, what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a person of color. And so that image of social activism is strongly ingrained in people's minds. And I think for that reason, 
there's a fear towards, especially professionally, when we look at our profession, OTs engaging in this concept, concept of social activism, you know, how do we get behind that in a way that makes sense when we know that it, it can be very politically charged and um, and very much to the to stay true to the name of the event, it, it disrupts it disrupts the environment. And how can we maintain professionalism while also being disruptors and and maybe being seen at the far end of the spectrum? Yeah, it's it's a good point because professionalism and disruption together are an interesting thing. So people have participated in protests in, you know, like you said, the 60s, 70s, 80s. And I mean, it's never really stopped, but the media has just shown bits and pieces of what's going on. And we don't always know what's happening in terms of protests in other countries or um, around the world. But all this to say that there have been protests for decades. And I think it depends on what somebody has access to. So, for example, a group of people who are being oppressed take to the streets and show their activism through protests and um, demonstrations very publicly. But then as professionals, we might be limited in how much we can be out there protesting and demonstrating because we fear things like losing our jobs or um, harming our own reputation or that of our employee or sorry, employer. Um, and this is a privilege, really. To choose when to engage in social activism is for sure a privilege. And this is because perhaps it doesn't impact our day-to-day -day life directly. So we don't have to wake up every day and live the experience and say, hey, look, we're being murdered at disproportional rates or whatever the situation might be. Um, so I think as therapists, we're in a position where it's an intentional action to be a social activist. And I think in terms of this activism, it's something that um, for people with privilege can be a choice to engage in or not. So the Disrupt OT event was something that I was invited or asked to do, and um, I made the choice to participate in it, which is a privileged decision, because it's not something that I maybe have to do in my everyday life. So in that case, if that were the case, it wouldn't feel so much like social activism, it would feel more like survival. Um, so we can't expect people who are surviving the experience every day to also be the ones to be the social activists. Um, that would be way too much of an emotional burden. And that's really the point of allyship and advocacy. That's such an, a great way of, uh, one way of looking at what social activism is, is this idea of, of kind of the coordination, of dedication, of a, a point in time where uh, the tipping point has happened and, and people are saying enough is enough. We need to get together and do something about it. And I think that I'm sure there's many ways we could distinguish differences between social accountability and activism, but I do feel that that's maybe one of the clear images is that, you know, it's happening now, like we need to make change right now, whereas uh, for me, social accountability is this ongoing effort to always respond to the needs of the people and do what's in their best interest. And throughout that, you know, if you see it as a kind of a straight line, the, you know, the intersecting line going through it could be a social activist event where it says, you know, this is completely unacceptable. We need to change these policies. We need to change um, our ways of thinking. We need to change our actions. I, I want to take a few moments with that thinking to reflect on our very recent, very first ever TRC, Truth and Reconciliation Day, September 30th. Um, what a powerful day. I, I was reflecting with several OTs on that day and in the Friday afterwards. And um, there were quite a few things that came to mind. And one of the first ones being is I can't remember the last holiday where I spent the whole holiday doing what it was intended to do. 
You know, we tend to celebrate many different, mostly religious or colonial types of events um, in our Canadian calendar. And, uh, and if you happen to be religious or if you happen to um, believe in what that day is about, you'll follow them. But as a nation, there wasn't anywhere you could go where you did not hear or see examples of truth and reconciliation. So, of course, people wearing the orange shirts, um, jackets, sweaters... Um, every every radio news station had something to say or not to say. I thought it was really powerful with some of the radio stations that they chose not to talk and just to have people phone in and share some thoughts of what they were thinking and uh, just to play music and not fill in, uh, not just talk for the sake of talking uh, and, and actually ask people to reflect on what the day meant. And so that... For me, I, I don't know if others would agree that that was social activism, but I felt in that day, I felt that's what was happening, that we demanded a change in this country, that we needed to move forward in a new direction. And everybody seemed to be doing it. Like you couldn't turn anywhere and not see a sign of it. At least I, I'm in Hamilton, Ontario, just to situate myself for the podcast. And, uh, and it was everywhere. And I thought that was very powerful. Yeah, I think it was similar here in BC. Um, right now I'm in Vancouver and there was a lot of people out there um, yeah, learning and talking. The main thing is just having conversations and trying to learn and hear the truths because there can't be a reconciliation without you know knowing the truths of what happened and actually being willing to not talk and just listen and all of that. So I think it was great and um, it was a heavy day. I mean, it's so I'm, I have white privilege, I'm white passing, but I am Indigenous and um, I won't get into great detail because it's still an aspect of my identity that I'm working through myself. Um, but there's, with a thing, with that amount of social activism in one day comes a lot of performativity. So people wearing orange shirts and people taking the time to um, maybe share things on social media um, I really hope that it goes beyond that and that there's an internal awareness that's really growing and that activism goes beyond that and they have the difficult conversations at work and with their family members who are perhaps racist. I mean, we we all have these people in our lives and I think the activism piece is really, you're gaining this knowledge, now what are you going to do with that? Because knowledge really is is power and are we are we using it to the best of our abilities? Absolutely. And, and that ties in with your earlier thoughts in the podcast on pride becoming a symbolic point of time, right? That we, we look at a month or a day or a week and we say, okay, that's dedicated for this reflection. And we can't let the same thing happen when we look at truth and reconciliation and we look at the impacts of racism and systemic colonialism um, that, that um, are in our day-to-day -day being right now in Canada, especially. Uh, and I would say globally, but definitely speaking as a Canadian. And so, so then the question is, do, does the social activist event then lead to ongoing social accountability? Is the social accountability piece that we continue to engage in this new way of thinking and awareness and being, especially as occupational therapists, uh, knowing that that this is something that we can't let go of, um, and, you know, in, in reflecting on the TRC day, um, what was nice, uh, what I do want to say for me, what was nice to see is many people were talking about the impact over the summer. 
So even stemming back to Indigenous Peoples Days in June in, in Canada, and then looking at TRC and seeing the growth in that three-month period of time, I thought that that was showing some awareness and connection of activities over time, which I thought was really important. Um, but yeah, I, th I think this has given me a lot to think about in terms of being accountable and what it means to be an activist, because I've never personally identified as a social activist. I don't know if or when I would. Um, I know that it is, uh, as you identify, there's the professional piece uh, as an occupational therapist or any healthcare worker that when you identify as that, it's it could change things for you. Um, but I do feel, going back to the first question of the podcast, can healthcare workers take on that responsibility of being socially accountable. I absolutely feel that they can. I think that we uh, it's becoming inherent in our training and in our nature that we need to look at the world around us, uh, no matter how um, how much of a micro level we might be working on, that we're aware of the social and political uh, realms that are impacting our day-to-day -day practice. And so we're coming to the end of our podcast, Holly. I wanted to talk, I just wanted to give you a chance to say any last words before I wrap us up. Oh, thank you. Uh, that went really fast. I really enjoyed that conversation and could continue. So I, I think we, me mentioned that there might be a part two of this one. I think we've said that about every podcast episode. Um, but I think it's just really important that, I mean, the folks who choose to listen to this know that it's, every effort is appreciated and you know having these conversations um it's easy to share lots of stories that are where things didn't go well or things that are really hard in society right now um but there's so many people who are doing wonderful things and occupational therapists who i hear from on a weekly basis about hey i'm working on this project any ideas or um, any resources for this or they share with us about things that they're working on like there's so much good that's being done and it's it's really promising and I think things are shifting as people gain more awareness about the um, inequities and the injustices that are happening within our profession and then outside of our profession. So I'm very proud to be an occupational therapist despite our history and, and kind of what we've worked through to get to this point and there's lots of hope for the future. So I did just want to end on that so that it wasn't all just um, the struggles, but there's lots of victories along the way. Well, and I'll add to the victories, Holly, it is Occupational Therapy Month in Canada. So to all of our OT listeners, we hope that you're engaging in OT Month activities, you're letting people know what it is we do. Our CAOT website has a ton of uh, resources and upcoming things that you can be a part of. And we'd also love to hear from you on today's episode or any past episodes or future episodes you'd like to be a part of by reaching out to us at practice at CAOT.ca. And I really just want to thank you, Holly, for um, sitting down with me today, talking about our podcast as a vehicle for social accountability, uh, talking about the differences between social accountability and activism, and just reflecting on your own experiences. It is such a pleasure, and I always love learning from you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to the next one.